Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Amen. The battle for our salvation is a battle with the devil. It is a battle on the battlefield of our hearts. It is not with trite sentiment that we give our hearts to Jesus, something that Lutherans are allergic of speaking like. But we most certainly must give our hearts to Jesus inasmuch as he has enabled us to choose him daily and to recognize what side of the battle we must be on, the side that Jesus is fighting for control of our hearts. We'll consider what that means. For this is a battle that we ourselves cannot win. We need Jesus to win it for us. We need him to initiate it for us and conquer. We were born defeated. That's why we baptize babies, because we were born on the wrong side. And we recognize that the battle that is being fought isn't something merely that is articulated by older children and adults, but it is something that is... It is not something we wrestle with as though it were flesh and blood. It is something deep inside the corrupt hearts of man. It is something that we cannot fully understand, but we must confess. We were born spiritually blind, dead, and hostile to God. No wise counsel from our fathers or nurture from our mothers can prepare us to win because we were born on the wrong side. We were born needing God to rescue us from the wrong side. And he does this by rescuing us from lies and by teaching us the truth. He gives us new birth that doesn't rely or depend on the strength of your father or the tenderness of your mother. It depends solely on the power and reliability of God's word. It is a birth by water and the spirit. That's what we witness when we see a child baptized. And we see nothing more than what God told us to do. And yet we hear his promise that he is doing what he promised to do. Depart, you unclean spirit, and make room for the Holy Spirit in that child, then with determination to receive the Holy Spirit, defies the devil and all his works and all his ways, and a real fight has begun. Those are very dangerous words, if you do not know already that Jesus is on your side. We witness in a baptism, and how many battles have begun right here? We witness in a baptism a child of Adam rescued from his natural powers and his natural advantages and given an inheritance that does not fade away and reserved in heaven for forever. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. To keep, as Jesus puts it, is to guard. I don't know why it's translated as keep at the end of our pericope, but guard when when talking about what the, the strong man does, but it's the same word. It's to guard. So, blessed is the little child whose life is hidden with Christ. Blessed is the little child who is given a precious treasure. Because faith comes by hearing, and faith's most sure reaction to hearing the word of God is not to keep rules and obey as though that were how the child came to faith or the adult came to trust in God. 
No, but it is to guard something that came from outside of us. To guard the treasure which Jesus has given. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. If we don't guard what's precious, then the enemy will come and take it. Faith needs nothing to be added to it to make it able to save. The word is sufficient because it's powerful. But if we do not guard God's word as a precious treasure, if we do not guard what our faith receives and depends and holds on to, then the devil will rob us of it. And we will be, as our intro put it, desolate, empty. Or what else will we rely on? What else will we guard but our pride and our wealth, if not the word of faith which saves us? But we are rescued. And because we are rescued, and because by Jesus' own prodding and mercy toward us, we have picked a fight with the devil, the devil has marked us. And we walk in danger all the way. The war is won, but the battle is raging. The battle with the devil is a battle over what is true and what is false. The battlefield is your heart, and your heart is shifting. Consider the fall into sin. Consider at what point we see Adam fall. We don't know when the devil fell into sin because it doesn't really matter. He's not saved and there's no redemption promised to him. But we see in the very nature of his first temptation his hatred for God. He can't hurt God, so he attacks those whom God loves. He attacks what God honored so highly, despite its material weakness and dependence on him. This offended the devil. And so he denied his own dependence on God. He attacked the crown of God's creation, man, whom God made to enjoy eternal fellowship with himself by knowing God and in whose relationship with his wife and children would reflect the beauty of the Holy Trinity. But the devil lies. He lies about God. And that's how he works and that's how he fights with lies. Consider how Adam and Eve fell. His wife was deceived because her strong man stood by while she was lied to. He didn't protect his wife. He believed the devil's lie and let his wife lead, get led right into sin. She was deceived, but he rebelled. To him was entrusted God's word. He was to guard it. He sold it for a lie. He sold it for death. The devil's kingdom consists in this. It consists that he lies to you about God. It consists that he lies to you about yourself. And herein we see how he wins the battle against so many. The first promise of the gospel is actually spoken to the devil. And this is actually of some comfort because you don't pick a fight with somebody who hasn't already lost. God first spoke the promise of the gospel for us to overhear for Adam and Eve to overhear as they, with trembling, awaited their own curse. But before they could even bear that curse, God cursed the devil. And in that curse was a promise so that Adam and Eve could receive their rebuke with hope. What a beautiful thing that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. This is a prophecy of Christ. The seed of the woman is the man who is born without the seed of a man. He's born of the Virgin Mary. God joined our human race by becoming true man. And when he did, when he finally did in the fullness of time fulfill all these prophecies, especially this very first one, 
You see how angry the devil and all his demons grew, for they knew that the battle which had begun so long ago was now going to find its hottest moment. Now they already had mankind in their grasp. And yet the devil is a master not only of torture, but also of distractions. Yes, the devils were particularly active during Jesus' time in our flesh, walking on earth in weakness and humility. But they torture, for one, and for another they distract, as though the greatest problem that the people faced was the physical affliction. And yet here we see, we see here, a beautiful, well, beautiful how Jesus helps him, but the irony that the man couldn't speak. The one strength that you think you might have and that people try to turn into man's one spiritual strength to invite Jesus in, to choose Jesus, to pray, to commit one's life, yet this man couldn't even do that. The best he could do is hope to just be in his vicinity. And it's the most sudden of all Jesus' miracles. After he teaches about the Lord's prayer and the urgency to pray, he suddenly says, and Jesus casts out a demon. We just see it. But it's so very important. The way the devil tortures man, just for the fun of it, is always also intended to drive him away from Christ. To keep him from praying to him. And the man spoke. I think he prayed the Lord's Prayer. Because that's what Jesus had just taught everybody who's reconciled to the Father to pray. Ever since Satan and his angels were thrown out of heaven, the battle has been hot, that's for sure. And I suppose in many ways it has cooled down as far as like demonic possession and torturing, but again, the devil still knows how to distract. He teaches people that such things aren't real concerns, and therefore his greatest tactic isn't a real concern. But of course that's not true. We see in our text that the Pharisees worked for the devil. They attacked Jesus. And where their attack is that he is working for the devil. It's just typical projection. And Jesus defends himself in three ways. And he's being assaulted, by the way, for helping this man. He's done nothing wrong. And his, his defense is threefold. First, that's absurd. It makes no sense. The devil's kingdom can't be divided. He's not going to fight his own forces, right? He's going to have a united kingdom, most certainly. The second defense is, oh, and you know it, because your sons do the same thing and you don't condemn them. But his third defense is by far the most argument, the most important argument. He says, if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. That is, surely there is a kingdom among you that is operating in a way that you do not recognize, that is fighting against the kingdom that you just represented. The, the kingdom of God is among you because the Holy Spirit is here. Not the fist that crushes God's enemies, but the finger of God, as we heard there in Exodus, which refers to the Holy Spirit who points, he directs us to the Lamb of God, he directs us to the Father, to the mercy seat, to where the blood is shed, there is no possible harmony, of course, between God's kingdom and the devil's kingdom. St. Paul says that, he says, what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with the devil? 2 Corinthians 6. So there can be no agreement 
between God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom. There can be no compromise. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. You are either begging for crumbs that drop and gathering them together, or gleaning with Ruth behind Boaz, or you are kicking it away for others not to be fed. You are either with Jesus or against him. In the spiritual war between God and the devil, you are on one side or the other. You're in this war whether you like it or not. A strong man is the devil. He's armed. He does battle. He guards what he wants. And he is secure. He is strong. His armor consists in this, that he lies. That's why Jesus says the truth will make you free. The devil's armor is not in torturing people. That's just extra. The devil's armor is not in sensationalism. That is perhaps helpful to lead people astray. But because we have the clear word of God, we see the very source of his armor and we see the true nature of his strongest armor. It's in false doctrine. It's in lies. He lies about two things which make him very strong. He lies about your sin and he lies about God's grace. He told our first parents that they wouldn't die. They wouldn't die if they ate the fruit that they should not eat of. It was a lie. He tells you that you will not die if you trust in your riches, in your pleasures, if you trust in your honor in the world more than God's word. And then you see that you do not immediately die. It's safe. He tells you that you will not die if you do not make a daily habit of praying, if you don't call upon God in every trouble, but simply pull up your bootstraps and get to work. He tells you that you will not die if you treat the word of God as something that will always be there if I need it. He tells you that you won't die if you don't submit to those to whom God has given authority. He tells you that you won't die if you hate your brother, if you hold a grudge. He tells you that you won't die if you're lazy or if you cheat. He tells you you won't die if you commit sexual immorality. He tells you you won't die, but then you see that you don't, and you see how susceptible you are to see that God is either bluffing or that he will always just simply be there. But the devil lies. And it is with these daily lives, even against those who have a mighty citadel, which we call weak in our hymn, because we feel like we must control it. But it isn't something that we build. It's something that holds a treasure that we are to guard. And that treasure teaches us the truth. And it equips us to defy every lie of the devil. As we just heard in our epistle lesson, this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man, or whatever commandment you might find, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you or lie to you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. The devil lies about sin. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. And the devil lies about grace. Grace is God's favor. Grace 
is not an ingredient that God must pour into your heart so that you might cooperate with him and become what he wants you to be. Grace is God's favor and regard towards those for whom Jesus has suffered all of his wrath and anger. Hell was not created for man. As disobedient and wicked as they are, it was created for the devil and his angels. Jesus shed his blood for every single sin, not in order to create grace, but to reveal the heart of God. And with this grace, with this regard, he stands on the battlefield of your heart and wins. He teaches you what God thinks of you for Jesus' sake, and the devil slanders God and twists grace. He turns it into something that you must participate with. He turns prayer itself into something that either initiates your relationship with God or that you must do in order to pay some debt. That's why I made the point that keeping the word of God isn't just simply doing all these things that God told you to do, but to regard the invitation itself to pray as something very precious, as part and parcel and the most beautiful reflection of this great truth that you have an advocate with the Father. That on that mercy seat there is resurrected blood that is shed that even now intercedes for you. Because he has won the battle. And the battle in your heart against the devil is a battle that is not really trying to get the devil away from you. As though the devil still needs to be defeated. It's a battle against your own corrupt flesh and blood. Your own desire to believe the lies of the ancient serpent who is already defeated. He's wrestling with you, just as Jacob wrestled with a man at night. And so you see that God comes and wrestles with you. He teaches you to hold on to this great blessing, that you have an advocate with the Father. The devil attacks sin and grace by lying about sin and grace. He's going to lead you into all sorts of temptations that war against your soul. And then he's going to turn around after he has tempted you and then stand as your accuser as though God could not possibly have mercy on somebody who would be such a brazen, ungrateful sinner. He attacks sin and he attacks grace and he does it in one move. He does it at all times. That is why we are to hear the word of God and keep it. And above all, the devil lies about who Jesus is. The devil will turn Jesus into one whom we must imagine by our own thoughts. As a man like us, exercising strength like us, requiring things of us as we would require it of others. And turning the whole religion of grace into a religion of our own reason. Every false teacher that teaches that Jesus did not come in the flesh, that God is not triune, these are not simply rules of doctrine that we must keep. These are precious truths that reveal to us who God truly is that we must guard. We keep rules in order to aspire to something We guard what has already been given to us. And that which is placed into our hearts is also reserved for us in heaven. What we need to do is to cling in our weakness and defenselessness 
to the grace that the devil attacks. The grace of Jesus whom the devil attacks. Right now, the conditions are absolutely perfect for the devil to wage his most clever attack. And that is the fact that there is such rank immorality in the world. I've often commented how refreshing it is to hear even a Jew or a Mormon or somebody with whom I have very vehemently disagreed at least acknowledging that God created them male and female and that we can't choose what we are later in life. You know what I'm talking about? It's very refreshing. There's a huge temptation to begin to look at the battle we are waging as though it were a battle that required that we unite forces with those who at least have some moral compass and some common sense. Well, this has happened from time and time again throughout the history of the world. That we look at that which unites us is the fact that we have a clear moral compass. That's not why he tells us to flee immorality, flee sexual sins. He tells us to flee immorality and sexual sins because they war against you and they war against your family, because they drive you away from God. But it isn't so that we can establish our common assault against the devil. No, do not be tempted by this. No matter how much we feel like we are on the outside and not fighting the battle that most needs to be fought in this world. Even if there are only two or three confessing that our only hope against the devil is in Christ who overcame him by suffering himself. Yet we have won. And your soul has won. And your heart has retained that treasure which only Jesus can give. That is how the, the battle is won. By confessing that by Christ and in Christ the war is already long over. And your treasure is safe in heaven. As we heard on Ash Wednesday, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what you guard is not something that you must complete or perfect in your heart. What you must guard is already in heaven because the battle is already won. It's undefiled. It's untouchable. But it's there reserved. It's reserved for you who hear the word of God and guard it. The devil hates the gospel. The devil hates you. The devil hates God, and the only way he can hurt God or cause him any stress or sorrow is by taking the gospel away from you. We love the gospel. We love it because it silences the devil's every lie and because it keeps us safe in Christ. By it, we have a, a gracious Father in heaven, a mediator who loves us, and the Holy Spirit who brings the entire triune God to dwell in our hearts so that we know by whom the battle is won and we know for whose sake it is won and we know that we have nothing to fear as long as he is with us. In Jesus' name, amen. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto eternal life. Amen.